Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Well Then podcast. This episode just might be the most impactful episode I've ever recorded and maybe that you've ever listened to. And I really don't say that lightly. I know we've had so many phenomenal guests on this show who I have so much respect for, and we've covered lots of incredibly valuable topics. And yet, the topic that we're diving into with today's guest expert is something that every single woman on the planet needs to to hear. Every single person should have access to this information, but most importantly, women. We are going to be talking about reclaiming your relationship with a part of your body that is often neglected, shamed, ignored, not talked about, and sometimes even traumatized. And it's something that all of us need to become more present to for our overall health and well-being. So our guest expert today is Alicia Patterson. She's a mental health counselor and a women's pelvic health specialist based in Denver, Colorado. On top of years in the emergency mental health field, Alicia also holds training in EMDR therapy, which you all know I love, as well as other trauma-oriented tools, dance movement therapy, body psychotherapy, DBT, all kinds of wonderful somatic healing tools and holistic models, balancing the medical and alternative healing fields. Alicia really provides a variety of services, including specialized individual counseling, holistic pelvic care, which is a lot about of what we talk about today. She also provides practitioner training, professional memberships, and so much more. Alicia has such a wealth of knowledge about the pelvis, about the female body, about health, about trauma, about the inner workings of our mental, emotional, mind-body connection. Truly, I'm just beyond grateful that she came on the show and shared her wisdom, and I'm so excited for you to get to hear from her today. We covered so much ground in this episode, and if pelvic healthcare is something that is totally new or foreign to you, or your only concept for pelvic care is in the realm of going to your gynecologist, you need to listen to this episode. Stay open-minded. She gives so many practical tips for how to make your way into this work in a way that feels safe and comfortable for you. And she also gives a lot of recommendations about where to get started with this work, depending on your unique physical and emotional history. So without further ado, let's jump right into this powerful conversation with Alicia. All right. Hi, Alicia. Welcome to the Well Then podcast. I'm so excited to have you here. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. As I was just sharing with you and and your team prior to this, I think that the work that you do in the realm of pelvic health and, and women's health in general is so, so needed. We need to be having more conversations like this. So again, thank you for the work that you do. And I'm so um, thrilled that you're on the show so that we can share this conversation with with the women in my community and any women who might need to be empowered with this kind of knowledge to to get back in their bodies and be able to have the experience in their body that they deserve to have. Thank you for the openness and the support around such a charged topic. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I feel like we might as well just dive right in uh, for anybody who's listening who is maybe not familiar with what somebody who's a pelvic health specialist does. Can you just share a little bit more about your work and uh, maybe how you got into it in the first place? Sure. Yeah. So um, my long-term work, like I've had years in the counseling field before I really got into specializing in pelvic health. 
So my training was somatic work. That's a really big buzzword right now. So um, that just means including the body in mental health work. So I've had a long-term counseling practice and I added public health, um, public floor therapy, which is internal work. It's intravaginal. I'm not a PT. I trained with a PT and I work under massage. And in the state that I'm in, it's like a gray zone kind of area. There's a lot of different regulations in different states. So um, I'm super happy to talk about all of that and get lots of questions. And most people see me um, for counseling because they know that I'm a public health specialist. I work with tons of fertility and birthing and pregnancy, um, all the things, you know, anything about women's mental health, women's health, hormonal stuff. And then my bodywork practice, most people see me because they know that I'm a counselor and they want a trauma-informed, emotional, psychological space. So that's the branches of my work. And I love my work. I'm very passionate about it. And um, yeah, really happy to share. Amazing. Thank you. And and I definitely want to dive deep in this episode into, um, as you shared, some of the emotional work and the emotional implications of, of experiencing trauma and how that can affect our pelvic space. Um, but I think starting with the physical work, because I already can anticipate so many questions popping up around that, because I know personally, I have gone through a, a journey series myself of doing um, internal pelvic care work of receipt being on the receiving end of it. And when I shared about that with my friends, I got a lot of, wait, what do you mean? Like it, internal massage? What does that mean? I've never heard of that before. I feel like there's definitely not a lot of conversation in conversations happening about that kind of work and certainly not normalizing it. So I want to start there. If you could share about what that internal work encompasses and why it's important and who it might be important for. Absolutely. Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, the only thing I didn't answer is that you said, how did you get into this? I got into this because of myself. I went through my own, I've had quite a lot of stuff, some medical trauma, some sexual trauma, and um, just this part of my body was a very challenging kind of like Achilles heel around my health and also around, I really believe that this area of our body is so connected to our neurological health. It's all the same stuff. So um, I went through my own journey with a very consensual, very trauma-informed practitioner. I did not see a physical therapist. I was pretty clear for myself that I wanted like um, just a different space than a medical experience. Less clinical. I never, yeah, I never smashed PTs. There are some really incredible PTs out there, um, but I wanted a little more of the alternative journey, but I didn't want to do sexological work. For me, it really wasn't about arousal. It was about working with the patterns in my body. So after I had that experience, I... Um, said, I want to add this to my work. What's it going to take for me to do that? I got a lot of mentorship, a lot of support, a lot of really amazing professional feedback, really supporting me in the direction of adding it to my work, which I'm so grateful for. Um, and then I trained with a physical therapist who is very well known, Tammy Kent. You know, she's so incredible. Um, 
that's how I got into this. That's why I decided to add it to my work was because it touched me so deeply and really kind of transformed my experience of myself. Um, and it's vulnerable. Yeah, absolutely. This is the inside of our body. You know, it's, it's very different than uh, another type of bodywork experience. It is so um, it's charged, you know, the judgments that we have and even just the shame in our culture about this part of our body and what our families have been through and, you know, the United States and what we're sitting on in terms of our lineage is pretty intense. Yeah. So why it's important is anything and everything from just your physiological needs. And these are the muscles that are supporting the bottom of our body and holding our organs inside of our body, giving birth. I mean, I'm amazed that people give birth when they haven't had pelvic therapy. That's a comment that a lot of people I see say like, whoa, I wish I'd had this before I gave birth. I wish somebody talked to me about this. I haven't given birth and I'm so glad I'm doing this before I ever do that. I mean, it's pretty incredible. Some other countries, pelvic PT is built into their system and they have access to it. And in the United States, you have to push and beg for a referral a lot of the time. And some other places in the world, you can't even talk about it. You know, it's like you'd get shamed and arrested if you even have a conversation. So um, there's different dynamics and different cultures around it. And it is very emotional. It's so tied into our endocrine system, our nervous system. And that's what emotions are. They're just chemicals in our body. So I love talking about the emotional piece. For me, it was very emotional. It was totally tied in with my life history and um, ancestral stuff came up for me, which was very unexpected. I really wasn't looking for that. It kind of smacked me in my face, honestly. Um, So I like to do a lot of education with people about what lives in this part of our bodies and that it's okay. Like so much can come through Mm. and on the base physical level, our nervous system, we have abundant nerves in our pelvis. We have amazing blood flow. We have so much immune tissue. So it's just fundamentally good for our body to work with these tissues And I teach a lot of self-work. I really like to empower people. Like, this is your body. Like, learn how to work with your body. Um, But a lot of people are nervous about that or they want the care of a practitioner. There's only so much we can reach alone. Mm -hmm. So it's a very tender space. It's a very particular healing environment. And I just wish that more people would talk about it so that it was normal. It was normalized um, our culture is just um, so immature around this part of our body. Yeah, absolutely. There really is so much stigma and shame around it, especially for women. And I feel like it's, it's sad because then most women at best just have a relationship with this part of their body during sex. And, and when it comes to sex and pleasure and that's it. And then, you know, the other 23 plus hours of their day or, even more, they're they're not thinking about it. They're not connected to it. And I'm including myself in that conversation because that was me until until I came into a conversation with amazing practitioners who've 
come across my path and and helped me to learn more about how to build a relationship with that part of my body. And it's very much still ongoing. I'm still unpacking lots of old trauma and, and you know, experiencing healing there myself. And, and I can already see how important it is, but I definitely already see that there's not conversations happening about this, which I would imagine makes it even harder for women to get care and to get support. One, just because they're not aware and they don't know where to go. But two, even if they are aware of like something's something's wrong, something's off in my body, there's not a lot of guidance on on where to go or who to go to to get support with that. It took me years to find the right types of practitioners and even the right language of like, oh, I didn't know people like you, Alicia, existed. I didn't know that was a thing. So yeah, I guess, you know, if somebody's brand new to the realm of of pelvic care, what's the best place to start just in dropping into, you know, relationship with with this part of your body for the first time? Yeah. I always begin with education. I think that seeing uh, illustrations of like, this is what's in this part of your body. Like anatomy wise. Anatomy Mm. education is huge for people. Um, It was huge for me. You know, there's so many rabbit holes that we could go down and I'm kind of a, you know, really big picture thinker. Um, The medical system is incredible, but it absolutely fails women's health. It's just, it's stark. You know, the money that goes towards research about women's health is offensive And the money that goes towards cardiovascular health is incredible. So it's just, um, there's so much knowledge that most of us don't get. So I usually start with basic anatomy education. Do you know about where your ovaries lie? Do you know where your uterus sits? Do you know where your bladder is? And showing people photos, talking with them, doing really gentle energy work, which for me, energy is just the nervous system and the endocrine system, attuning to those tissues, very soft touch, saying hello. Even just that is very powerful for people. And then from there, um, I always do a very thorough intake. I make sure that I know what people's history is. If, If they have bladder symptoms and they're peeing five times overnight, you know, that's a symptom that sometimes can be resolved. The nerve signaling between the bladder and the brain is incredible and fascinating. It's part of our stress system. If someone's system is pumping and dumping stress chemicals, there's usually some bladder stuff happening. So um, education, empowerment through education and history taking is where I always start. And some people, um, they don't have symptoms, but they feel icky. Like they're like, oh, I put my hand on this part of my body and it's just like a black hole. I don't feel anything. I don't see anything. I feel uncomfortable. I don't have any, quote, problems. But, you know, it's just this like drop off the cliff. Like, and that can be a little disturbing. So there's so many reasons that people get into this. And um, I really love to be welcoming and validating that it's okay if 
it's nerve wracking. You know, I started this journey for myself like 15 years ago. And I remember talking with my first therapist and we were doing visualization work and we were talking about my history of relationships and partnership and my sexuality relationship with myself. And eventually I was going to get a uterine massage of my abdominal kind of core work. Um, and it was so emotional for me in a way that really surprised me. For me, I was like, I have cramps. I need help. And that was the only thing. And then it really kind of blew my top off what came with the session. And I was talking with my therapist and she said, are you going to do internal work? And I said, I'm offended. How dare you? I was so ashamed. Wow. And I didn't even know what she was talking about. You know, I was just like, I thought she was making assumptions. I th- I was like, no, you know, it was just this protective response that I had. Yeah. And now here I am like educating people and letting people know that it's okay. And it's part of you. And, you know, have you ever thought about what are your muscles doing and what are your nerves doing? And if you were to touch that tissue, like what temperature do you feel like might be there? Is it hot or cold? And um, it's so deep. It's really, you know, there's no part of our body where we can touch an organ without surgery, except for this part of our body. Mm-hmm. And that is incredibly vulnerable and powerful. Yeah. And it's, I find it so interesting too, that it's not considered or talked about more because, you know, you mentioned abdominal massage and uterine massage. That's something that somebody had mentioned to me once that they were aware in other countries that abdominal massage is a very normal thing. Like it's, it's a normal part of a full body massage. And that doesn't happen here in the States. Nobody massages your abdomen in the course of a full, full body massage. And so that's a part of the body that gets neglected a lot in the realm of care and body work. But we're also talking about the fact, you know, you said this is the one part of your body where you can access internal organs without surgery. And correct me if I'm wrong, but it's also, there are muscles there that can only be reached, can only be massaged internally. Like if you were to get a massage on your shoulders and your back, obviously that's, those are easy muscles to access, but Mm -hmm. in the pelvic floor, right, there are some that we can only get to internally. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, there's no, our pelvis is like a basket, you know, it's actually not a floor. I try to stay away from like overusing the term pelvic floor because it's not flat. Okay. It's not this one dimensional. Um, it's like the yeah. of a basket or like a cereal bowl. And we have all of these incredible muscles, lots of different functions, different shapes and sizes of these muscles that knit together and hold our organs and protect our body from the outer world. So those muscles are surrounding and supporting the organs and our, I mean, our organs are like little animals, you know, they're so sensitive. They're very, very um, particular. Like I always say that organs have personalities, different organs have different tones to them. They have different functions, things that they're responsible for really kind of leads into how they um, manifest themselves and how they communicate. So these muscles are protecting and supporting and also expanding 
And if we have body armor, if we're frozen, if we're numb, if we're incredibly inflamed, uh, you know, so much heat, so much tension, those tissues are usually not moving. They're, they don't have a lot of blood flow. The nerves that are running through them are upset or sleepy. The immune fluid is like condensed and swollen or it's just not flowing. So there's so many physiological benefits to working with these tissues. And um, for me, it's about grounding. Mm -hmm. You know, for most of my adult life, I was incredibly ungrounded. I didn't even know what feeling grounded, you know, people would say in yoga or something, feel the earth, you know, feel your roots. And I was just like, what? I mean, I was so disconnected. Yeah. And this process rooted me. And I finally, I mean, it was actually a very big grieving process for me, like coming into contact with the earth energetically um, is powerful. And then oh. I was feeling everything suddenly, you know, it was, yeah, it was very impactful for me. I love that you shared that because I think that a lot of women might only think that this work is relevant for them if, like you were mentioning earlier, if they're experiencing a problem, like, oh, I have really bad cramps or I'm experiencing a lot of pelvic pain, bladder issues. Um, you know, for me, it was a combination of a lot of those things and sexual dysfunction, like not experiencing orgasm and, you know, diminished pleasure, all that kind of stuff, pelvic pain. And it took me years to even get to a place where I was willing to say, oh, okay, I need support in figuring this out. Like these are not just little symptoms. And I can imagine for women who aren't at that threshold of like intense pain or intense symptoms that they're experiencing, they might just write this off as, as not a relevant conversation for them. But even just the benefit of being able to feel grounded, being able to be in your body, that's something we all need. That's something every single one of us could benefit from because most of us live, you know, or spend so much time in our heads. And what a beautiful thing to just be able to be in your body and feel at peace. Absolutely. Yes. It's, uh, you know, modern societies have incredible resources and access and privileges that I would never want to deny. It's very important to like, yes. And the wounds, I mean, I can only talk about the United States. I live in the United States. I was born here. My family is here. Even that process, you know, like, there's so much here and being in our body is our challenge. Like it's our cultural challenge and our biggest wounds. I really believe after being a therapist, you know, not for that long, but 10 years is a pretty good amount of time to be working with a lot of people. Most of the wounds collectively of this society are relational and about our sexuality. Mm. And that's the, it's kind of a burden, you know, like we all have to address those wounds. And if we don't have a wound in our own system, me and my life, it does exist in our lineage. Mm -hmm. And it's a choice. Do we want to unearth that? Do we want to go into that? Do we want to feel that level of depth? You know, nobody should say like, you have to do this. I don't really believe in that. Um, yeah. But this this depth of our body is holding our genetic information. 
in the testicles and the ovaries are little pockets of DNA. It's this little hub of like, it's incredible. So I think that it is um, just ongoing. It's like on and on and on. And once you start to pull the thread, me and my life, me and my story, me and my family, me and my ancestors, that's the process of expansion that is also grounded for me. Like that's been my experience of all of this. And that's the approach that I take with clients. And And they just use, go ahead. Sorry. Oh no, it's okay. I was just going to ask, you know, you mentioned through that process of, of grounding for the first time coming back into your body and all of the feelings that then became available. You mentioned grief, which I would imagine is something that most women who explore this work are going to come across at some point. So can you talk a little bit more about maybe what to expect or what could happen in the realm of big emotions like grief coming up and and what that integration and healing process looks like for women doing pelvic care work? Absolutely. Yeah, I always lean on Gabramate around grief. I yeah. love him. Love him. He's my like author crush. I <laughs> love his writing. Totally. I think he's so skilled at making things digestible. I mean, he's brilliant and his way of making things palatable for the reader um, is so helpful. Mm-hmm. He talks about North American culture, Canada and the United States as being a culture that has an incredible amount of repressed grief. Mm. And it's all about attachment. It's all about our infancy and our families and what we're holding in, um, you know, our society is there's so much freedom and there's all these perks that come with that. And there is an incredible amount of competition and that type of like drive and what happens between human beings can be so traumatic. Mm. So that experience of really getting in touch with our physiology. There's nobody that I've worked with in, in any of my work that hasn't put their finger on the pulse of what grief feels like. And it manifests in lots of different ways. Um, I mean, just even having access to what grief feels like can be very challenging. Like people who haven't cried in years, you know, their eyes are just so backed up their brain you know what's happening in their brain and their eyeballs and our eyes are so connected to our brain so um, coming into contact with these low tissues is so often a process of grief work and it's also often a process of anger you know anger and grief and how they relate to each other are kind of fascinating Mm. Um, usually my theory is it's all about the nervous system. If I could choose one thing, I would choose the nervous system because it's controlling everything like a puppeteer, you know, that's the grand master of our anatomy. And our nerves are talking to our brain and our brains talking back to our nerves. And a lot of people run hot or they run cool. And people that run hot, I used to run hot, anxiety, anger, tension, you know, a lot of drive, but not a lot of ground or stability. And I had to learn how to grieve my life. And once I started to come down from that hot thing, 
I kind of crashed a little bit. I got a little depressed. I was grieving heavily. I was like, I don't even know where this is coming from. I can't make sense of this, but my body is being squeezed like a sponge. And that is a very humbling process. You know, that's like down to our knees, bowing to the power of how vulnerable it is to be a human being. So grief in the body for me is usually about the cardiovascular system. Our cardio system is so connected to our uterus, our blood flow. You know, that's what makes us warm, emotional beings. And our cold part of our system is our survival system. It's our spine. It's that kind of like cool fluid type thing. And bringing people into connection with this lower base energy and their blood flow, you know, it connects people to their heart. And heart is usually about emotion. Mm -hmm. And other areas of our body are very connected to emotion in a different way. Um, But I find that this like left body, right brain, and there are crossovers, like right body talks to left brain and left brain talks to right body. So there's all these different theories, but they all say the same thing. Our right brain is all about attachment, the neurobiology of infancy, what happens when we're infants, how that informs how our heart develops, how that informs how the more vulnerable side of our body develops is an incredible, it's like wild. It's just a very um, trippy experience to do that work with oneself. It really is so fascinating how much wisdom and information and memories our bodies really do hold and how much power there is when we learn to tap into that intentionally, consciously. Absolutely. What, What would you say for somebody coming into a conversation about this work who has experienced sexual trauma and you know for some people hearing this it might feel empowering like the possibility of liberating some of that trauma that's been stored in, in their body in their pelvis but i also imagine for a lot of people it might feel scary to 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 reopen those wounds or to explore what's there absolutely yeah it um it can be very empowering you know my personality, I've always been like, I'm ready, you know, like same. <laughs> be kind of aggressive with yeah. myself. I have been aggressive with myself in ways that I didn't even know really with this journey too. You know, I think I kind of inflamed myself when I first started learning how to do this work for myself and like too much too soon kind of thing. Yeah. Just, you know, these tissues are so sensitive and, mm. um, you know, forcing them to wake up. I wasn't meaning to do that, but I was kind of like pushing hard and, you know, like what's going on. And then when that pattern really melted, I had a big reaction and it was painful. Mm. Um, So, you know, that's kind of one side of things. And some other people are very avoidant and like, they're scared. They don't want to feel any, they don't want to get into that depth Um, For anyone that's scared, I say, you have to go really slow. It's best to work with someone that is willing to go very, very slow. Even just putting a hand on the lower belly for five minutes. You know, that can be all that happens in a day or in a session or in six months, you know, like no rush and no judgment and no pressure. 
is usually what is best for this part of our body. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people come into this work wanting heavy duty results. You know, sometimes it's like, I'm in a lot of pain. I've been through a lot. I've already spent a lot of money. I need this to be different in two weeks. And it's like, ah, uh, well, so I get really transparent with people. You know, this is a long journey. This is an intensive modality. This is not something to be aggressive with yourself about. If you can at all back off, your body is going to benefit from that very respectful, very kind pace. Mm. Um, And I only get to talk about that because I know, you know, like I did that with myself and I'm like, I, I really had to learn. I had to cross some of my own boundaries to realize what was happening So, and I've really adopted that in my practice of like very, very slow Mm. and anybody that is very activated, it's like, we don't even go inside for a long time. There's no point. Anything that's too much and too fast and too soon can recapitulate trauma. It can just reactivate something that's already suffering. Some people never go inside just visualizing and being with themselves like very sensitive systems. I've worked with a couple of people, very, very sensitive, just working with nerve signaling on top of their skin, mm-hmm. not even working with any internal tissue, all of their pelvic tension melted. I mean, I was shocked. Wow. So it's not always necessary to excavate and flush and do all this internal work. Sometimes it is necessary. Sometimes it's not, but being so, connected to ourselves and like, what do we need and what do we want? I think can be empowering in a world that just says, this is what you need. This is what you want. And it's like, we just don't get a lot of support to really tune in with ourselves and say, actually, I know what's best for me. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that that is some of the most impactful work that a female system can do. Yeah. This is, I'm, I'm curious this is a personal curiosity for sure, but I'm, I'm sure other people will will have the same question. If you do come in to this work with, let's say, a big pain point, whether it's you know physical pain or sexual dysfunction or something something that's going on on a physical level that you're wanting to resolve, like you said, you know, ASAP, and you've probably spent a lot of money trying to work through it already, and you know that it's going to take time to resolve, and you know that you're going to have to be patient and and go slow with it. When you get to the point where you have um, worked through and, and resolved that initial issue or those symptoms, is this work something that you still do on an ongoing basis to kind of like for maintenance or um, to, to keep that old pattern at bay sort of thing? Or do you reach a new equilibrium? Is Yeah, I guess. I don't know if that question makes sense, but I'm curious Absolutely. about that. Yeah, that's a great question. Um My stance on it is maintenance work is helpful. For me, it's necessary. Mm. I believe in it. I want that. I'm a practitioner, so I really want to kind of do what I preach. Um, Once a week or once a month is an amazing, it just, even if it's just for circulation, Mm. even if it's just to help this part of our body, excuse me, take a couple deep breaths. Um, having the only contact that we have with this part of our body when we're using toilet or when we're having intercourse or we're engaging in some sort of sexual play 
for me, I'm like, what about the rest of it? What about health maintenance? Mm -hmm. So I do believe in maintenance work. I think it's really helpful. It goes up and down for people, you know, what age they're at, the stage of their life, um, what their activity level is, what their, you know, if they're only sitting at a computer all day, it's different than if they're walking around. Walking is the best thing that we can do for our pelvis. That sway just can really keep things very healthy. If someone has total stillness most of the time, they might need to do that type of maintenance work a little more to keep that like fluidness going. Mm-hmm. Um, there, you know, the, the brand Olivia with self-cervix, she's so awesome. Uh, you know, she talks about cervix stimulation as a way of working with vagus nerve patterns. Oh, wow. All these questions. It's very controversial. Uh, where does the vagus nerve end? Mm-hmm. There's lots of opinions. There's been some studies the kind of borderline quote prove that it does go to the cervix. There's other people, you know, really high level anatomists that say, we're not sure, but there is proof on some level that it does go down into the pelvis. So, you know, vagal toning and vagal nerve work, polyvagal theory is like the best thing out there for trauma work. So any way of accessing vagal tone can be very helpful for regulating our nervous system. Um, So I do believe in maintenance work, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And what your tissues will tolerate um, to have all the tissues be totally expanded and welcoming that level of tissue maintenance work. Sometimes it can create, um, it takes time to create that. And people that are like, I'm ready to work with my cervix right away and all my tissues are frozen, that can actually be very painful. So, you know, this like slow, respectful, one layer at a time is very important, but the cervix is connected to the uterus. So, you know, and I'm all, I'm like, I watch cadaver videos. Like I'm just fascinated. Um, Everybody has different ways of how much they want to connect with their insides and how much they want to feel and what they want to see and what they're curious about. And, you know, it's edgy, it's edgy territory for sure. Yeah. I'm so glad you mentioned the cervix because it made me think of a question that I know a lot of women in my, my circle will be glad to hear an answer to. I've talked to so many women who've shared that they experience cervical pain in particular during uh, intercourse and that like anything coming up against their cervix just causes the most intensely painful sensation. Could you speak a little bit to like what might be causing that? And, you know, I'm sure the answer is this work, but what there is to do about it. Yeah, absolutely. The, um, you know, for me, it's the body armor stuff. Armor for me and body armor is a term that gets used a lot. So what it means to me is what I'm about to talk about, uh, but people say it in all different ways. So um, frozenness and numbness and tension and pain, inflammatory markers, nerve pain, um, what all the different kind of tissue patterns for me is what usually leads to cervical pain. 
And our cervix is part of our uterus. It is a very sensitive part of our body. And usually I think that if the cervix is only attended to during intercourse and it's rough or too hard, or it's just kind of in and out, like jabbing, it's like, whoa, you know, (laughs) I just think that we all have so much to learn about how to be with our bodies. And if we have years of not a lot of care, uh, not enough um, lubrication, not enough flow in our tissues, not enough fluidness in terms of just like our hormones flowing. If we have uh, misattuned partners, if we have partners that aren't paying attention, if we have partners that maybe do pay attention, but we don't want to say anything, you know, whatever those dynamics are, I think that that can lead to, if you have years of that, that usually just gets worse, can be like just a little uncomfortable 10 years later is like ouchy or it's numb and it's kind of frozen. Mm. So unwinding all of those patterns, resensitizing to pleasure So many people, once they do this work, their willingness to tolerate certain things and their sexual dynamics really change. Like they're like, oh, wow, I thought this was sex. Now this is not what I'm willing to do. You know, that journey can be very real for so many partners I've worked with. I'll work with women. They're like, can I bring my partner in? he doesn't understand. I need someone to talk to him about this. It's usually men. It's always men, which is why I say he, Yeah, (laughs) it's just pervasive. So educating our partners, talking to them about this is what's going on in that part of my body and what we can tolerate at different points of our cycle. When we're ovulating, our whole pelvic tissues kind of pull up. Mm -hmm. They can tolerate more vigorous contact. It might even be pleasurable When we are close to our bleeding time, our cervix drops down. It's much more sensitive. Too firm of contact is going to be jarring. You know, we need love. We just need to be attuned to. And if we're not being attuned to, or if we have a trauma history, or if our tissues are just so condensed and locked up, it's going to be painful. It's like, it makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah, it really does. And I mean, there's so much value in what you just shared that I think we're just not taught even, even like the basic, you know, the, how, the way our anatomy changes throughout the course of our cycle. That's not something I ever knew. And when I first started in the, this work and receiving this work and exploring those tissues and that part of my body more, there were times where I noticed I'm like, oh my God, my cervix is in a different place. Is like, is something wrong? Is Are my muscles like falling out what is happening and learning that that's actually really normal for your cervix to change positions was like, wow, so eye-opening that we are just not given this basic information about the ways our body's body works. Absolutely. It's really, um, I mean, it's kind of funny in a way. I try to laugh at the things that are actually very sad. Yeah. You kind of have to. (laughs) My coping skills, but Ideally, the whole womb, all of our reproductive tissues, you know, move around. We need flexibility. They're supposed to move up and down. If they're totally cramped way over to one side of our pelvis and they're that way for a long time, 
no judgment, you know, everybody kind of leans toward one side. Typically Mm. Um, there's all these studies out there, you know, right, dominant people, left, dominant people, personality types. Um, There was a study about breast cancer, actually, like when people got breast cancer and which breast and Mm. kind of how that correlated to their life and their like drive and their motivation and their personality style, you know, if they're kind of boohoo poor me or if they're like aggressive Mm. (laughs) it's fascinating interesting yeah so but before way way long ago if anybody is really into all of this must read the book unwell women you really want to know about the roots of modern healthcare and what's been happening in the world around women's healthcare just uterine healthcare it is incredibly disturbing it's very sad super depressing Um, but one little nugget I took away from that was there used to be this theory of quote the wandering womb and that people's uterus would be way up here in their chest and you know this kind of like all the theories about hysteria and you know crazy women and all this stuff so I think that the system has kind of swung in the opposite direction there's um, just an incredible amount of control and manipulation. And this, you know, like the dynamics around that are very interesting to me. So ideally our womb does move, mm-hmm. but not up into our throat, you know, like it's like, it's just so unreasonable. Like all the things that people have said about this part of our anatomy are um, just offensive. So yes, yeah. want to be in the middle of those extremes. That's what I try to do for myself. Yeah. Yeah. It makes sense. And, and it is empowering to, you know, arm yourself with not only the knowledge and the education, but then also the lived experience of being in your body and feeling the sensations and getting to know those tissues which kind of leads into um, a question I have for anybody who's listening who might not live in a location where they can access really quality pelvic care. What do you recommend for people like that? Can you do self-guided work? What does that look like? Absolutely. Good resource. Um, I get outreach from people all the time who don't have someone in their area. Mm -hmm. Definitely, you know, they're pockets of the country where there are really good resources Um, like Portland, you know, Oregon has amazing resources around this. Mm. Colorado has pretty good resources. Uh, California. Awesome. Um, The South horrible. Like I'd imagine. Yeah. Desert truly like there's it's very Midwest. um, It can be really hard. So if you don't have someone in your area, you can totally learn how to do work with yourself. Um, Telehealth has really, that's been one kind of thing through COVID. There's a lot of people working online that were not working online before. Um, I work online. I work with plenty of people out of my area. If they just want to consult or um, there's so many different online courses out there. I have an online course that teaches all of this, you know, learning how to do this for yourself, I think is important, which is why I made the course. I wanted to give people those resources. Um, Having a practitioner can be a luxury. There's not that many people um, 
you know, it's very well supported in my area. And even, you know, I only know a few people that I really refer to and trust. So it can be very challenging to find support. And if you really look for it, there are these pockets. Sometimes there are people kind of working underground. They're working behind closed doors. If you talk to people and start asking questions, sometimes there are resources that you can't find on the internet. Mm. You know, I really feel like that is how things have always worked when systems of control really start to get big. I mean, all the abortion stuff is just um, striking. Then things go underneath and they're still functioning. Mm -hmm. So look for resources and educate yourself, buy tools, you know, look at your body, touch your body gently, soft hand, use oil, Mm -hmm. use really body safe products and start to get to know this part of yourself. And for me, working with a practitioner, like when I work with someone who cannot do anything with themselves, but they just want me to do it, I'm like, well, learning how to be with yourself is part of this journey. Yeah. Like, you know, I'm not really willing to just be the excavator and then have somebody like look away and just say, fix me. Mm. Like, that's not really how I work. Yeah. Um, So empowerment and willingness and education is part of the journey for everybody, like in my eyes. And I know that some physical therapists really struggle with that dynamic, like this, like fix me and just put me back into my life. Sometimes your symptoms are just going to be back in six months if you don't actually learn how to manage your own stuff. So I'm an advocate for both. Having a practitioner is incredible. And there's so much that we can do on our own if we are willing. And the holistic stuff takes more time and energy and money. It always does. Yeah. But it's better for your health long-term. Yeah, absolutely. And and thank you for taking that approach as well, because, you know, you we don't want to put ourselves in a position where we're ultimately just giving our power away to some expert or guru who holds the magic keys to our body, like, we hold the magic keys to our body. And, and so working with somebody like yourself who empowers you to reconnect to that, that wisdom, that innate wisdom that we all have, I think is so important. It is important. It's really, um, you know, like it's the dynamic of dependency mm-hmm. and being no judgment, but being dependent on one person is just not a very safe thing. Yeah. Because if that person goes away or something happens to them or they close down their work because they have a family emergency, which has happened so much in the last three years, then you are without your resource. And, you know, then what are you going to do? So I've always been on the side of embracing, learning, opening myself, even when it's really hard. You know, the like, I'm afraid. I'm like, everybody's afraid. Like, it's okay. (laughs) You know, like lean in. Um, and that can be very hard for people. So finding someone who can really work with you around it. And, you know, I'm very passionate, so I'm kind of outspoken on podcasts, but when I'm with people in session, the gentleness and the slow pace and, you know, that therapeutic attunement is so important. Yeah. 
And so for for all people, certainly, but especially for people who maybe are starting this journey in a solo capacity and just starting with that self-guided work, whether it's through courses or whatever the case may be, since you have a counseling background, what tools or resources would you recommend to women to make sure they're also supporting themselves emotionally as they're reconnecting to that part of their body when the fear or the grief or the big emotions do come up? Yeah, we need resources around all of that and um, emotional skills are super important. And in the beginning, you know, it's rough. And I just tell people when they're new to the journey, you know, the first two years are very painful. Mm. So strap on your seatbelt and self-care, you know, willingness to be messy and be activated in ways that you're surprised by and have support. Having a counselor, I really prefer and love when I work with people for this body work that they have a counselor. Mm -hmm. Having someone to process with and just another person on their team can be incredibly kind of fundamental. Um, You know, it And that is a luxury. Having access to mental health is fundamental and required at this point, and it is a luxury. I think that it's necessary, and most people don't have access to it. We have a mental health crisis in our country that is striking. We also have a public health crisis in our country. We have the most outside of England, the UK, and the United States has the highest rates of hysterectomies in the world. Wow. So there is mass level collective mental health and reproductive health trauma going on and accessing the support that we have, emotional skill building, um, educating ourselves, podcasts, articles, books, you know, instead of watching TV, read a book about emotions. I just, whatever we can do to move that needle forward. Um, and that's what I do. And I've been doing that for a long time, Mm. even though I would much rather veg out, (laughs) but I'm like, there's too much, too much to do for me. And I'm in such a different place with myself emotionally than how I used to be. And I have so much more, you know, this is our whole life. I want to move into wise elderhood. Mm. I want my brain to prune itself in a wisdom way, not in a, I can't turn this around once I'm in my sixties way, Mm. which I see plenty of. Yeah. So, you know, embrace, embrace the tender journey, be vulnerable, lean in, surrender yourself. That's my advice to anyone who's listening. Who's like, Oh my God. ah." (laughs) Just like get on the roller coaster. Yeah. I feel it all. (laughs) (laughs) That's, that's great advice. Thank you so much. And I mean, thank you for all the, the wisdom that you've shared today and, and the work that you do. I could ask you a million more questions, but for now, I'll just ask for anybody who's listening and would love to learn more about working with you, whether in person or virtually, where can they find you and then how can they work with you? Thank you. Yeah, it's really a pleasure to talk with you. It's super fun conversation. Um, my website is like my best hub. Mm-hmm. There's tons of information. It's Alicia N. Patterson. My middle initial is N as in Nicole. 
Um, all my, you know, you can find me on social media through my website. I am on social media a little bit, but not very much these days. It's just like a tiny little like, hey, I'm doing this, you know, maybe once a week or something. Um, my email list is really the best way to stay in touch with me. Join my email list through my website if you want to receive notes from me. Um, when I have new clients, if I have a new thing happening, I do teach a training with a physical therapist all about trauma-informed women's health work. So if you really want to know about that, then joining my email list is pretty much the only way to get all of my updates. Okay, great. We'll make sure to link all of that in the show notes so that anybody listening right now can just go check out your website, get on your email list and stay in touch about all the things, all the valuable resources that you share. The last question I love to ask everybody who comes on this show, besides all of the amazing, incredible tools that we've we've talked about so far, what's one wellness practice that's really foundational to your overall sense of well-being or just one that you've been loving lately? Mm, that's a great question. I would say, I mean, I have so many, but... Um, I'm going to say five rhythms because that's been my longest term. You know, my official training is dance therapy. That's oh, wow. my actual title. That's I went to a very specific graduate program because I wanted dance movement therapy. Mm -hmm. And then my pelvic health journey just really was parallel to my movement practice. It was like, they're like buddies. Um, yeah. So I do a lot of five rhythms. It's an amazing modality been my best ally for my whole like any longer than all my pelvic health stuff um, and now because we're all home and kind of isolated more getting back into five rhythms is what I'm really trying to do for myself and can you share what five rhythms is for anyone who doesn't know yeah it's um a meditative movement practice so there's no choreography but there is some structure there's five different rhythms and learning how to be with the rhythms. It's an international trademarked, very popular modality. If you search five rhythms in your city, you might find an event. So that's just my plug for like, go to a dance event, move your body and be curious about your pelvis. Yeah. Yeah. See how your hips move in space. Mm -hmm. That's, that's great homework for everybody listening. <laughs> Thank you so much, Alicia, again, for everything that you've shared. And I would love to have you back on the show again at some point in the future. I really Thank appreciate you. appreciate all the work that you do. Yeah. Um, for everybody listening as well, if you know a woman who could benefit from, from hearing this wisdom or anybody, you know, man, woman, anyone in your life who, who could stand to learn a little bit more about pelvic care, pelvic health, definitely share this episode with them, pass along Alicia's information. And as always, until next time, have a happy, healthy, and love-filled day.